You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Paul, co-founder of StreamCap. Super happy to have you on. Thanks, Nicholas. Yeah, uh, excited to, uh, to join. Appreciate the invite. Awesome. And StreamCap is super technical, so I would love for you to explain it for a dummy like me. Yeah, so, uh, you know, when I'm talking to folks who are kind of not in the data world, the, the thing that I, I generally start with is, like, if you think about your experience using something like Uber, um, you know, you, you're on the app, you're looking at where that car is and you're waiting for it, um, and that's all real-time data. Right. And, and you can imagine that if the data about where that car was or on the other side, where the, you know, pass from a driver perspective, where the passengers are that you need to pick up, if that data wasn't available in, in real time, uh, it would be problematic. Right. And, and a yeah. lot of the historical data infrastructure is built around batch processing where, you know, every night or, or maybe every hour, a bunch of data gets loaded. Those, those kind of processes would not be very useful for an experience like uh, you're accustomed to in, in Uber. And uh, now Uber is, a, is obviously a really big company with, with a huge engineering team, and they're able to, to build and manage some of these systems in-house. But uh, for most businesses, even some large ones, um, that's just more than their engineering team can, can handle or, or wants to handle. And so we provide some of the infrastructure that that powers that um, real-time streaming data that that enables folks to to build, um, you know, really great customer experiences. Typically, so you basically abstract that complexity away for them, so they can really focus on their the the core of their product and can can use you to make that super easy and basically plug it in. That's right. Yeah, we do, um, and we don't do the app development and that side of things, but sort of the underlying data infrastructure. Um, is is very complex to manage um, with uh, by yourself basically, and and with Streamcap, you know, it's something where in a, in a couple of minutes you can get um, you can get data moving and with uh, you know subsecond latency. I love that. And then let's go back in time a couple of years. You started out in sales, became a VP of product in the tech industry, and then made the jump to being a founder. What did push you initially? to make that jump into entrepreneurship? So I think it was always something that, you know, I was, I was interested in. Um, and, you know, I, I ended up going to work for Ricky, who's my co-founder now um, at, at a data company that he started called Avora. And uh, that was built around those batch processes I described earlier, um, but sort of an end-to-end solution for folks to, to power like their internal uh, business intelligence reporting stuff. And, um, you know, that business, we ran into some challenges and COVID and, you know, it, it ultimately didn't really work out. But um, uh, but a couple of kind of key things happened. One is Ricky and I got, got along really well. We found we had a, a good partnership there. And, um, you know, we also started to see the emergence of more and more of these like streaming and real-time use cases. And we, we also, you know, we, we met customers who were, um, you know, trying to build this up themselves, spending months of, of time with their development teams uh, getting there. And we really felt like 
it was a problem that we could go and solve. So, um, yeah, I think it was this underlying, I guess, desire for, for me personally that I'd always been interested in. And then, you know, it, it um, yeah, we had a good confluence of a good partnership between the two of us, you know, a clear problem that we wanted to solve. And, uh, and, you know, with, with Bora, um, not, not working out. We actually did a spin out for that, which, which was sort of intermediate step, I guess, along the way, uh, which I left to go run. So I had a little bit of experience running a company. Um, and then we sold that company. Um, and then, and then, you know, that was sort of, we were thinking, all right, what do, what do we do next? And, and, you know, that's what, uh, uh we decided to start Streamcat. So the, the spin out you're mentioning is that gravity, which you sold within a year. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Because that's in like a very, it's different, but in a very similar space. Did you have, I know a couple of founders who had access and then had quite gnarly non-competes. Is that something you had an issue with? And like, if yes, how did you navigate that while basically moving on and like doing your next company? Uh, it, it actually, it was something we were able to, to negotiate. Like we knew we wanted to start Streamcap. And, uh, as a part of the sale process, we, you know, we, we had a, a, you know, a good agreement that like the, the company that was buying gravity was, you know, not pursuing the streaming side of things. Gravity didn't do streaming. And so while like at a high level, you know, both companies are you know, do data pipelines, the, the sort of, uh, problems that they're solving were different enough that, um, you know, it was something everybody was comfortable with. Uh, moving forward and and you know we didn't have non-competes associated with it and um you know in fact that it's something we're you know they're interested in partnering with us um to, to help solve some of the streaming stuff that, that we're doing so basically all the gravity ip went went to to the acquiring company and then um you know we went off to go tackle this this new challenge i think i think it's super smart that sounds like your your expertise and like experience in negotiations came through in that Because you, if you wouldn't have done that, it, I think it would have been quite challenging or basically not possible for you to go and do your next thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was definitely something we had to have very clear agreement on before we could uh, really start Streamcap. So yeah, it worked out. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. Awesome. And then let's jump back to today. How, how big is StreamCap right now, just in terms of the team or like what stage you guys are at? Yeah, so we're 10 people today. Um, we haven't really formally announced it, but we raised, uh, um, closed a funding round late last year and another of the pre in, in early, uh, or sorry, in late 2022 as well. So um, we've raised a little over $3 million in total. And, um, yeah, 10 people, um, and, you know, good kind of customer base using, using StreamCap for production today already. I mean, that's a super lean team for them. Like, I guess it's seed round of 3 million, right? Yeah. 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 How, from a sales perspective, it, from the outside, it sounds like an enterprise sales play. Is that right? Or like, oh, what does the go-to-market look like? Yeah, so it's it's something where right now we actually have a pretty broad spectrum of customers. Um, so as we start to think about scaling, you know, one of the key questions we have is like, where do we really want to double down and focus? Um, 
you know, are, are probably the, the most density that we have is within more mid-market companies, um, you know, where you know, they have enough scale where they really start to care about, you know, you know, moving data at, at low latency and, and at scale. And, um, you know, we do also have some enterprise customers, but, uh, you know, the, and, and, you know, we're building the platform for enterprise in, in the sense of having like the, you know, SOC 2, type 2 and the sort of requirements that, you know, those type of businesses expect. Um, but, uh, you know, as a young company, we're, we're kind of a bit more focused on, you know, on businesses that can move a little bit faster um, and, you know, get that kind of, um, you know, faster growth and, and um, you know, feedback cycles that you can get with with somewhat more agile companies. Um, we do have a couple startup customers as well, but that's not as much of our focus because, um, you know, it, it, usually they have a, they have fewer challenges associated with, um, you know, low latency and, and um, you know, higher scale of data. So is the problem you're solving also coming with like just like having to scale a, a service? Yeah, it, it typically is. So, yeah, there's certain things that you can get away with, um, you know, just on a kind of on application backend database, Postgres or, yeah. or um, MongoDB, depending on what you're doing, for example, that, you know, you can start to do some of this stuff directly on that database. But as you scale, you know, you don't want to query your production database for analytical use cases. And so you want to be able to move that data to a, a separate um, you know, a data warehouse, typically, or real-time database that's more appropriate uh, for for those kind of queries and and those kind of challenges are, are the kind of thing that generally you start to do as you get to to more scale um in in uh, in your business let's double click on sales because i mean you have years of experience in it and most or like not most but a lot of founders are like very technical like engineers who then start companies and like for them sales is like always like a big question mark basically so first of you said mid-market, like if you think mid-market, how big is such a company for you? Yeah. So I mean, we're, we're focused on sort of the roughly like hundred to $500 million revenue companies. So, you know, you have a spectrum there on, on, you know, the size of the businesses, but, you know, generally let's say a hundred to, to a thousand person companies and, um, and that's that's kind of the the segment we're looking at. And then some specialization within industries. Um, you know, we our our system is not industry specific by any means, but um, yeah, there's certain sectors where you, know, you have a, a greater requirement for sort of low latency data. So you know, things like logistics and and uh, payments, point of sale, and um, and that sort of thing. I mean, that would have been my next question. Basically, after you said, like, okay, company size, which is like everybody can do it in like Apollo or LinkedIn or whatever. And then yeah. basically making that net closer to the vertical. So that's basically where you just think, okay, where do we as a company solve the biggest pain? And then you just like, did you specifically pick three verticals? Or like, how, how did you make that decision? Like very like framework driven, basically. on like, okay, who are we going to attack? Because especially as a 10 person team, you can't go after everyone, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that is one of the challenges early on in, in a company is you have this balance of, you know, your capacity constraints. And so, you know, you, you want to be as focused as possible, but there's also a dimension of early startup life where there's, where discovery is really important and, and you, you know, you don't know all the answers. And so if you go in, go in with, you know, too narrow of a focus, you might miss 
where there's some opportunity. So, yeah, I think we started a bit more exploratory and, you know, not, not going after sectors we have felt very confident we're not, not relevant, but, you know, do, doing a bit more uh, exploration around where we thought there was a good fit. And then, you know, that's still ongoing, uh, frankly. So, um, you know, now we're being a bit more as, as we kind of kick into this year, a bit more rigorous about like uh, really testing some of these narrower focus areas and, you know, and getting to a place where, you know, today I'm doing all of the, the sales um, and, you know, or as a, as a company, we kind of create some content and things like that, which help support like inbound leads. But um, yeah, basically, you know, we're thinking about like, how do we get to a place where we've got something that's um, really systematic that we can give to, you know, new sales hires uh, who are the founder and, and, you know, and, uh, you know, can, they can, they can um, tackle that in a more repeatable way. I love that. Is there anything you can share about your, how you do sales specifically, like without uh, opening the kimono too wide, but just like for other founders listening to learn from that? Yeah. So for us, I mean, we knew we were selling to a fairly technical audience, um, data, data folks and, and, and engineers. And so, you know, they have a bit of a bias towards like wanting to find, um, you know, solutions rather than being sold to, if that makes sense. So we, we did focus a lot on, on content, fairly technical content that, you know, speaks to the type of, you know, problems that, that those folks are trying to solve, um, generally at a, at a fairly like low technical level of like, here's the specific thing I want to do. Um, and that's been pretty successful for us. Uh, and then I'm just, you know, doing outbound on, you know, mostly on LinkedIn, um, and in concert with, you know, organic content there. And, you know, we found that that's worked pretty well uh, as a starting place. I mean, I think, um, you know, for, for founders out there, like you, the fact that you're a founder, you know, if you're reaching, if you're an early stage company, you're reaching out to your, you know, your customer segment, you know, I think you, you get folks who self-select in their response to that, right? If you're at, I mean, what we started with was really just, you know, Hey, we've got an idea, you know, we'd love to talk to you about, about this, you know, this is the problem we're thinking about trying to solve and we'd love to get your feedback on it. Right. And, um, yeah, I think the folks who want to respond to that kind of question, um, you know, first of all, will help give you feed helpful feedback. And then they may also be the type of person who wants to be a, a beta tester for your product. Um, and then ultimately, you know, probably a good fit for like early customers and that kind of thing. So I, I definitely, I think that would be something I would encourage, you know, founders to do is, is really try and get out there and, and, you know, connect with your users. And I think there's a good positive feedback loop on that. Um, you know, if you find the right, the right segments. Yeah. And also if I didn't look wrong, I think you have over like 10 K people following you on LinkedIn. And I bet this must also basically, if you send me an invite, I click on your profile. I see that you're super legit, both in terms of your CV, but also just like the social proof you get from posting organic content. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think we're, we're creating a lot of content and, and kind of engaging with, with discussions that are really relevant to this audience, uh, you know, data folks and, and engineers working in data, um, that, uh, you know, that ultimately, uh, helps, uh, helps facilitate that a lot. And quick question regarding the org chart, which I, I'm not sure why, but I'm kind of a nerd about orgs. Um, so you're the one doing sales. And then I get you, you have the CTO co-founder, like what's the rest of like, what are the other eight people on the team doing? Is it like all engineers or like, what's the mix like? 
yeah, they're all engineers at this point. So, um, you know, there's a variety of roles within that, you know, front end and, and back end engineers and some streaming specific folks. And, um, you know, I think that's the, the, the bulk of, of their work. Some of those engineers are, you know, interested in, in engaging with, with customers as well. And, and so that we have, you know, sort of solution architects, um, dimension of what they're doing, uh, sort of engaging with, with customers and, um, you know, a bit of, bit of content, you know, I think everybody can contributes a little bit to that if they're interested in, um, you know, writing up, you know, solution blogs and things like that. I love that. And then I, a couple of days ago, I did a recap of like the last 50 interviews we did. And the one thing when I usually ask people like, what's the biggest mistake you did? A lot of them say, yeah, I, I was a tech guy. I hated sales and I hired like sales guys before doing founderlet. I mean, you're obviously not making that mistake. But one thing that came up in those discussions also was when is the right time to hire those first two sales guys? Like if you listen to the OG Jason Lemkin, you know, okay, hire two guys so you know like that is not a person issue. Like yeah. how do you make the decision when it's right, the right timing to say, okay, I I've proven founder at sales enough that now I, no, I can make those hires confidently. Yeah. So I think the, the way I'm thinking about it, you know, I've hired a lot of salespeople in my career and, um, you know, I think we still have some questions to answer, but the key thing is repeatability and, and something that is repeatable specifically for, uh, you know, uh, someone who's not going to be a founder, right? There are certain things that I can repeatably do that I sort of just get away with because I've got a founder title in my LinkedIn, for example. So I think, for example, my outbound on LinkedIn is probably a lot more productive than a salesperson's would be because, you know, people are just more willing to, to, you know, to chat to a founder. Right. So, um, yeah, I think the key thing is saying like, okay, have I built something that if I really put my sales hat on and I'm running this program, like a salesperson, you know, it's something I feel like I can, I can, um, you know, I can successfully get, get them trained and on board and, and be able to do that repeatedly. So, um, you know, and I've seen like even in more mature organizations, you know, the challenges that come with, you know, with not giving great enablement and, um, you know, you, you have to, there's a balance there, right? Like we're not going to have super mature enablement program for our first hires, but, um, you know, you, you need to think about like, what are those people, those salespeople going to need to, um, to be successful. And, um, yeah, so I think, you know, the very simple way to put it is you know, having something repeatable, um, that you can give them a playbook and um you know be confident that like they've got the tools to be successful and then as you say i think the idea of having two people start at the same time has a number of positive benefits one of them being you know it helps you give you signal on whether the problem is an individual or or your process or market what have you um but it also gives them some camaraderie and competition and, and that which i think are also important right it's a little bit harder to be you know, that one sales rep reporting to a, uh, um, you know, to, to a CEO, then it is to have like, you know, someone else that you're working with. And like I say, salespeople generally, one attribute that you want to hire for is, you know, competitiveness. And so if you've got a couple of people that's going to, they're going to drive each other as well. That's a good point. What would be like three quick tips for like hiring a good salesperson? Yeah. So I think, I think it probably depends a little bit on what stage you're at, right? Like, you know, at the, at the first stage, you know, you do want as much as you want to, you know, give people some repeatable process, it is definitely not going to be 
you know, super refined, um, I think by, by definition. And so you want someone at the early stage who's you know pretty entrepreneurial, you know, you want them to be able to go out and say like, right, I'm going to give you a, a fairly, you know, repeatable, but fairly bare bones process. And, you know, I want to see that you can, you can do that. So I think hiring for folks who've been successful in other relatively early stage companies is, is pretty key. Um, and, you know, someone who's a, a top rep at Salesforce, you know, that does not mean that they're going to be successful uh, in, in an early stage startup. Um, and so I think looking at like experience and, and um, his, historical success is a really key aspect, but you need to think about it in the, uh, through the lens of like, what is your, the world that you're in and, and making sure you're hiring for somebody who's got, um, you know, experience in that, it, both from, from a perspective of, you know, your side and also theirs, right? Like, um, you know, they're, they're, they may not be very happy if they, you know, if they're accustomed to sort of big company, uh, yeah. you know, tons of weeds coming in and, and, you know, they don't have to, um, you know, a lot of stuff being done for them and they're just focused on selling versus, you know, a much more open-ended role that, um, that's going to come with being a, a, in a startup. That makes a ton of sense. And then switching gears again a bit, I mean, founding a startup is not always like roses and sunshine basically so what's one thing that you as a founder or, or your startup is like struggling with a bit right now you know i think it's it's that <laughs> everything um it just takes a little bit longer and is more complex than you anticipate right and so um yeah i think one thing that we've probably done um i think we're doing a better job of now frankly but which is it, last year, maybe we, we probably did too much uh, chasing problems that an individual customer had rather than being a bit more systematic about saying like, this is the direction we're going and saying, saying no to, to customers. Um, so yeah, I think that's that, especially coming from sales, like having discipline around saying no when there's when there's money available <laughs> is, is, uh, is a challenge, but it is something, you know, you, you can't, you can't boil the ocean when you're a small team and you have to be focused. So, and that was something that, you know, Ricky and I at the very beginning, like we're both aware of that issue and we said, right, we need to be disciplined, but you know, when in the practical realities of things, like, you know, when you're an early stage company, a part of the value that, you know, customers see in that is that, you know, they kind of know that, you're going to be willing to be flexible and move quickly. And so you have to balance, you know, that willingness to, to go and solve the real practical customer problems with um, remaining focused and not taking on too much. So, you know, I'd say that like, we've, we've gotten better discipline on that, but, um, and I don't know that we made a lot of explicitly wrong decisions, but, you know, in aggregate, you just really do need to be really um, thoughtful about, you know, how many things that you take on. And, um, you know, and making sure that you're, you're focusing on the right problems and things that are, uh, you know, it goes back to repeatability, right? That, that you're solving a problem that a bunch of other people are going to have as well and not doing something that's one off. Um, or actually even, <laughs> even in that context, right? It might be everything you're doing is repeatable and a bunch of other companies would have it, but you just can't do everything. So yeah, trying to, to balance that, um, you know, that prioritization is, is probably one of the biggest challenges that, that, um, yeah. that we've seen. Focus is simple and not easy to execute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. One final question. What's something that you learned in the last like one, two, three years 
where you think, okay, like learning that really stepped up my game as, as a founder? I mean, I guess the big thing, like if, if I look back to when we first started the company, I'd, I'd never raised money before. And, um, you know, I had a bit of uh, confidence because Ricky had and, and um, but, you know, I was taking the CEO role. And so, you know, it, it's my job to do fundraising. And, um, you know, so it, it, I dove in head first there and, and you know, it's, it's, um, it's been a, a big learning journey and initially was, was lacking confidence for sure. And, you know, I tried to say, okay, it's, it's just the sales process, which has a lot of shared elements with sales, but it's definitely not the same thing as sales. Um, the, and so, you know, I think it's, it's been a learning around, like, how do you think about, um, you know, the process of raising money and, and how do you approach that? Because it has a, a, I think that to put a fire point on how it's different from sales, because you are going out and pitching and, and, um, you know, you're selling the, the vision of where you can go and what it will mean for, for, um, you know, the person on the other side of that exchange, but the, um, you know, the investor side of things is, especially with VCs, it's just a very small world. Right. And so the, like, um, the network nature of, you know, your audience when you're fundraising is very different from, um, you know, the, the, um, the sales world where yes, you know, there's advantages to having sort of social proof and things like that. But like, um, you know, it's not such a small pool of customers that you're selling into that they all know each other and are sharing information all the time. And, and, you know, that, that is the case in, in, uh, in the venture world. So, you know, I think you have to think a little bit more carefully about like, how do you present yourself to that? Because, um, you know, the, you know, there's some positive aspects of that and, and, and negative aspects, but, you know, that's been a, a learning process to, you know, and I wouldn't say that I have solved that problem we've been, you know, successful raising money. Uh, so that, that's good. But, um, you know, I think thinking about how do you get the FOMO going and, you know, drive urgency and the fundraising process are all things that are, you know, uh, a, a different set of skills that I've, I've had to, had to learn and, and, and I'm still learning. <laughs> so. It makes a ton of sense. But I mean, raising and closing around in this environment is still no easy feat. So I think you, you at least, uh, got the at least at least the ba basics of it down already yeah yeah i mean it's it's um look I'm, i'm happy we were able to get uh you know get 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 folks on board and we've got a great um you know a great set of investors supporting us so um you know i think we must be doing something right and i think you know ultimately that's down to you know we're in a we're we're built we're solving you know a real problem we've got real customers and and you know it's it's a big market so You know, some of the key aspects there are, um, you know, are, are part of the, the, the problem that was decided to go and solve. And, um, you know, and then you can, you can learn a little bit on refining your execution on the pitch and what have you, if you've got those key base elements. I love that. Then Paul, thanks a ton for coming on. And as a final ask, where can people find you online? Um, on LinkedIn, Paul Dudley, I think you should be able to find me pretty quickly. And then, uh, Uh, also on Twitter, a little bit less active, but kind of working on it with, uh, or X, I guess I should say, <laughs> uh, Paul at Dudley. Uh, but yeah, mostly LinkedIn is, is probably the best place. And we will make sure to link everything up below so that people yeah. can find you. Yeah. And streamcap.com, I should say as well for, for uh, you know, your data streaming needs if, if, you're, uh, if you're in that world. That's the most important of all. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks a ton, man. Thanks, Nikos. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node.
with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.